Ange came up to me uh, um, like uh, two minutes ago and was like, hey, are you going to start your, your message off by finishing a story from the last time I preached? Because I shared a story about how there was this worn out for my rest and I almost got arrested and then I never finished it. So everyone was like, so did you get arrested or not? Um, I'm not going to finish the story, but I didn't get arrested. You can find me afterwards and I'll tell you the rest of the story. It was funny. I got like too involved in what my point was in that story that I totally forgot to finish it. But anyway, if you can tell, the last um, eight months I have been a human incubator. So um, <laughs> my husband and I are pregnant with our first child. And, you know, they, they joke that you have, you know, crazy dreams and all this stuff when you're pregnant. But you also have, like, funny thoughts, too. Um, like, I'll wake up some mornings and I'm like, you think about, you know, if you're in a job interview or if you're in, like, a new mixer situation, they always have these get-to-know-you questions. And it's like, what would, you know, your superpower be if you could have any superpower? And now it's like, I don't even need one. I have one. I can replicate humans. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> awesome. Like, I can make little duplicates of my husband and I. It's like... Amazing. I don't know if there's a cooler superpower. <laughs> and then some mornings you wake up and you're like, I feel like I should be in a sci-fi movie when you see your, your stomach like shifting around and like think something trying to bust out. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> and then other mornings I wake up, I don't know if you guys know this, but people who have previously had children find, take pride in, in a hobby in telling new mom or new soon-to-be moms their horror stories of labor and delivery. Like it's their goal in life to terrify you. And so my thought is, why try to terrify moms that are, like, ready to have kids, that are a little bit older? We should be doing that to teenage girls, not to the new moms. <laughs> so my thought is that either the rate of teenage pregnancy will greatly drop, or the rate of teenager girls in therapy will highly increase. So it'll either be, like, one of the two, but I think it's better than trying to mortify us. But anyway, some of the, like, less <laughs> immature thoughts that I've had are, um, are just thinking through what kind of parent do I want to be? And, you know, processing through things that my parents did that were awesome that I'd love to pass on, or my grandparents or great-grandparents, and observing other people here, because there's plenty of people in this community who have previously had children or that, you, that I know. And then looking at things that maybe I don't want to pass on, you know, that I want the buck to stop here, that it's not going to be a generational thing. Um, and I really started thinking through that a lot more when I did Christ Life a couple years ago. So anyone who's, here, who's in here who's done Christ Life, um, you really learn the weight that comes with becoming a parent. And that everything you say, everything you do, everything you say and don't do, um, really carries a lot into your child's life and future. Um, and so um, just processing through things that, that I'd love to pass on and, and really evaluating, like, is my life worth replicating? If, if my children grew up and lived a life just like mine, would I feel honored by that? Or would I be like, ooh, I wish I didn't, I didn't pass that part on. Um, and I love learning from other people's mistakes and from other people's victories too. And that's one thing that is so cool about this community is that we have so many people walking in wholeness. And there's so many people um, worthy of getting to know and to learn from what they've learned on their journey. And so if you're single and you want to learn how to date well, or maybe you're dating and you really want to, you know, eventually get into marriage, but you've never had a good example of marriage, then hang out with some of the people that are married. Go to Fierce Love. There's people rocking marriage here in this community. If you're, yeah, if you, um, like, no longer want to be mastered by pornography, then find people in this community that 
have won that battle, that are walking victoriously in that. If whatever, whatever the struggle is in your life, there's people in this community sitting right amongst you that have found victories. And it's just a matter of taking some time to go to a small group or hang out after service and get to know some people because they're willing to walk alongside you and wanting to get you to a place of victory faster than it took them. Because some of us have trudged a long, painful trail to get to where we are today, and we would like nothing more than to help you get there a lot faster than we did. Um, and so in becoming, or thinking through becoming a parent, you know, I've been trying to get more whole physically, spiritually, mentally, I mean, all the different, different ways. Um, and although the nine months are about, you know, growing a child and all this stuff, I've been benefiting from a lot of rapid growth as well. And no, not just the 45 pounds that I've packed on, but like true, like internal deep growth that I'd love to share with you guys tonight. Um, and so although you might not be preparing to have a child be mimicking your every move, being a Christian, you know, people are looking to you for cues. They're watching your life too, whether you realize it or not. So we're all involved in different areas of influence and circles of influence, whether it's our families or our workplace, you know, our school, sports, whatever we're involved in, people look to you and think, how is the Christian going to react or act in a certain situation? And just to think, are our lives that we're, you know, leading and the actions that we're taking setting a good example for the kingdom? Are we leading a good example for the people around us and making good choices? So tonight's just a little bit more about having a little bit higher level of self-awareness and kind of evaluating what we're displaying for others. Because Titus 2.7 talks about how we should be an example. Um, and a couple weeks ago, Waterbury was praying over Eric before he preached, and he said something that has really stuck with me. He said, you know, because he's here every week preaching amazing messages, but Eric said, let the, let the choices of your life be the biggest microphone you ever hold. Let the choices of your life be the biggest microphone you ever hold. And I thought that was really, really good advice and just something to, to keep in mind. Um, and so one of the first things going into the pregnancy was just processing through and thinking through um, what kind of attitude and outlook was I going to have over the next nine months. Um, and you might wonder, what does attitude have to do with God and with my life and all these things? Well, the way you feel about life is often reflects the way you think God feels about you. Um, so the way you feel about life often reflects the way, God, the way you think God feels about you. Because the attitude of your heart reflects the activity of your mind. And the activity of your mind impact, impacts what comes out of your mouth. And what comes out of your mouth becomes what you believe. And what you believe shifts your environment for better or for worse. So yeah, moods matter. And attitudes matter. It's amazing the things that we do because when, when we give the excuse that we were in a mood, you know. We say things that are totally out of our character. We do things that are outside of our morals or our beliefs. I mean, you, could, you can end up having to care for someone for 18 years because you were in the mood and made a choice, if you catch my drift. <laughs> um, so one of the first things I'd like to share is that the choice of your voice determines your life. The choice of your voice determines your life. So the choice that you're choosing to listen to is going to impact the life that you're experiencing. 
So the, literally like the day that I, we found out we were pregnant, I, thank you, um, I made a commitment to Mike and I, I vowed to him that I was not going to let being pregnant be an excuse for anything. And so, um, you know, obviously there's things that are unavoidable that just kind of come with the territory, like being really tired or getting really hungry or having to get up five times a night to go to the bathroom or like getting sick. I mean, all those things are just, those weren't what I was referring to. What I was referring to were the things that I have a choice in, which was my attitude. You know, you see these sitcoms sometimes where, you know, someone gets pregnant and then it's all of a sudden like this free ticket to be a total B to your husband and the um, just be a jerk to people and to demand things and to let your emotions ruin you, you know, all this stuff. And, um, and I just knew that I didn't want that. And so I made a verbal and conscious and intentional choice to, to voice that to him and to voice it to people around me as well. Um, and it was funny because people come up to you and people give you the, all kinds of advice. You know, people love to share their two cents in whatever scenario you're in. And so people be like, oh, it's going to be fine. Like, you don't have to worry about anything. Or even with, like, labor, it's like, it's not even going to hurt. You're going to be totally fine. And I, they're just trying to be encouraging. But for me, like, it's not helpful. <laughs> I like to know, like, I'm more of a realist. I like to know that there's opportunity for pain. Or I like to know that there's opportunity for something bad to happen. Because it fuels, uh, maybe the competitive side of me, I don't know. It fuels a part in me to want to win. And it fuels a part of me to want to take ownership over my choices because it allows me to take ownership and know that I play a role in what the outcome's going to be. And so to know that, that we have ownership over our choices and not just deferring to, oh, I was told it was going to be fine, so I just didn't prepare for anything is totally lame and just blame shifting of, of our actions. So, and I, I knew there'd be unforeseen challenges because obviously we've never been pregnant before. Obviously my husband's never been pregnant before. Um, so that's why we made the choice to speak it out. Like I spoke it out before we got into the thick of things. Um, and you can't wait until everything in your life is perfect to start enjoying, to start enjoying your life. So it's like we started speaking that out before it even approached and we made the decision before so it goes for anything. Like if you're dating someone, you don't wait until you're in the backseat of the car and the windows are steaming up to decide, oh, by the way, like I'm going to wait till marriage. Like it just doesn't happen that way. <laughs> you need to make a decision before you get into that scenario yeah. or make a decision now. Well, even if you're happy before something terrible happens, because you've already spoken what the outcome's going to be and what you're going to commit to. And it matters to who you say it to. So I didn't just keep it into myself, like, oh, if it works out, then cool. If not, then whatever, we'll play it by ear. No, like, I told not just my husband, but I said it to family. I said it to close friends, because I wanted people to help hold me accountable, that if I start getting out of, like, the range of how I wanted to be acting, that someone would lovingly call me out on it. Um, and so, like, even if it's something else, so, you know, you want to stop gossiping, you don't just tell the people you gossip with, because they're not going to stop you. <laughs> They're the ones, like, engaging in it with you. If you want to start, you know, budgeting better, you don't tell your girlfriends that you go shopping with every weekend because they don't care. They're... When I was in college, if I, when I told my college friends, hey, you know, we've made different choices, we're going to start, like, waiting till marriage, they're like, oh, cool, lame. Like, they didn't stop anything, you know, they encouraged things. And so, um, 
so finding people, that's why your circle of influence is so important and it really needs to take more intentionality in who you choose to surround yourself with. And so it, depending, no matter what your situation is right now, I guarantee you if you change your, your inner voice and your perspective, you are automatically gonna become, your life will become lighter and brighter, regardless of if your circumstances change or not. It's just kind of a byproduct of taking ownership over your thoughts and feelings and emotions. Um, it was probably right around this time last year, and now I'm saying it out loud, it, it makes sense now, just how the enemy would attack in that season of, of our family's life. But I, we went, I went through like this short period of time where I was having the most insane, mean, just kind of like crazy thoughts towards Mike, my husband. And, and it was horrible. Like it was really getting the best of me in a lot of ways. And sometimes I'm way too open in what I'm feeling because I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, I'm so angry at you right now for X, Y, Z reasons. And I knew that they were crazy but, um, but I was saying them out loud, I was believing them, and then all of a sudden I just made a choice that we get ready in the morning and then we drive to work and we usually call each other, and I just started, I just made the choice, I'm just gonna start affirming him and telling him how much I appreciate him, and, and it was amazing how things just all of a sudden shifted. Nothing, he didn't change at all, he was still the same person doing the same things, going about his day, but my love for him and my perspective of him just, grew immensely because I made the choice to take ownership of what I was feeling, what I was speaking, and I started speaking it before I actually believed it, which was really hard for me because I don't like to be wrong, and I felt like I was wrong in when I was speaking what was actually true, if that makes sense at all. Um, and I learned that you can't believe everything you think. So I know Knopf talked about that, I don't know, probably like a month or two ago, how we have, just because thoughts come in our head doesn't mean it's ours. It doesn't mean it's from God either. That we need to, that's why we need to take thoughts captive and filter, put them through our filtration system and keep what's good and just remove what's not. You know, Matthew 15, when it talks about what comes into your mouth, it's not what comes into your mouth, but what goes out that defiles you. Similarly, if you start speaking up, you know, if things that come out of your mouth are good, it's going to build up in a positive way. Another thing I was learning is just because God promises it doesn't mean you possess it. So you might, not, you might possess it, that might be the, the wrong way to put it, but for instance, in Galatians, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, like we might have the fruit of the Spirit, but it doesn't mean that we're actually operating out of it. So it, it's a choice, and it takes effort, and some situations take far more effort than others to intentionally be using that and operating from that. So for example, if God parked a brand new, you know, stick shift Ferrari, I'm guessing there are stick shifts, I have no idea. Um, a Ferrari with the keys in the ignition in your garage, but you still go and drive your 1989 Honda Accord all over town, like you have the, it's in your power to use it and drive it, but you're choosing not to. And so a lot of that is usually often learned. So let's say, for example, you know, in a, on a weekend trip, you're going to San Francisco, and, you know, there's hills, and there's traffic, and there's tons of people. If you haven't been practicing driving that stick shift, you are going to resort back to driving your Honda Civic to San Francisco. So it's like you need to be putting in the practice here on, like, the flat terrain, wide open roads, on the easy situations, so that when the big things come, 
it's, it's natural to just want to still operate in the right mindset. And sometimes it's easy to look at other people's lives and think that they've just had everything handed to them, that they've never had to deal with anything difficult or anything challenging, and it's because they've put in the practice in the small situations that they easily make the difficult big ones seem like a cakewalk. And it's not because it is a cakewalk, it's because they've put in the hard work and the battles to be able to you know, brave those waves. Because there's so many of us sitting in this room we have amazing giftings, amazing promises over our lives, amazing things God's given us, but we have zero discipline. And so there's crazy amounts of unmet potential because we're unwilling to put in the effort and put in the training to really take advantage of all the amazing things that lie ahead of us. You know, if you, we had a, had a roommate in college and he was in the Marines. And when he got back from boot camp, he was telling us all about boot camp and the different trainings that they would do. And a lot of what they did was just like replicating moments of chaos. And so they would just make things be crazy, but then you'd have to think straight and, and you know, do certain things, I guess, amongst the chaos. And it's basically simulating this so that when they get out in the battlefield and things go nuts, it's, they can revert back and they have also almost muscle memory to know how to handle those situations. So they experience it, they're like, oh, I've been here before. You know, they do X, Y, Z. So it's almost just second hand for them. And it's similar with life, you know, that we can experience something big and say, I've been here, I survived it, and I'm gonna keep staying focused on the right thing. Um, just as an example of someone who, it might be easy to look at their life and think, oh, it's been so easy, they have, happy-go-lucky life um, would be even Eric Knopf. He comes up here and preaches every week. You know, it'd be easy, to, you know, for him to preach it, but maybe not practice what he preaches and that kind of stuff. But I'm here to tell you that there's many of us in this community that are involved, like, in a, have a unique situation. We're involved in his life in ministry, in the workplace, in their family life, and we're able to see the consistency amongst all the different areas. And so for you to look at their life and think, oh, it's just this cakewalk, it's likely because you haven't seen or heard of the battles that go on in order to get the blessing. And so that's one of the reasons why we share testimonies here, because there's so many people walking in wholeness that we don't want anyone to walk in and think, oh, these people are just putting on fronts, like they don't know what's up. No, we want to be transparent and share with you where we've been. Like even a couple weeks ago, someone came up to Mike and I and were like, oh, your marriage is just so easy, like just works really well for you. And I had only known them not very long. Like, oh, you have no idea. We, d we dated for so long, and it was a rocky road, you know, and there was a lot of learning. And I will not even go into it because there are people in this room that have heard our testimony more times than they wish to remember. Um, but back to Knopf. Um, Um, you know, people might look at him and think, oh, you know, he's this amazing entrepreneur. I'm sure business just comes so easy. But along his road to his business now, he's had a number of, of failed business ventures or obstacles that he's had to overcome. Um, you know, it's easy to think, oh, he's probably never tempted by anything. He's so holy, you know. No, but he openly shares up here that in college and before, like, he struggled with pornography and is now, you know, put in the time and the practice to be able to battle those temptations when they come. You know, you could see his kids and be like, oh, what beautiful, amazing kids. 
But if, if you knew, his, his first child, Scarlett, was born, and she cried for literally like the first six months straight. I mean, we had like a rotation of people here in this community going over there to spend the night just to give them a little bit of relief from the crying because it was so difficult. And then their second child, Mav, Maverick, he was um, born, and they spent I don't know, close to a month in, in the NICU, which is at the hospital. And um, it's like any of those things could easily derail someone or easily cause someone to think, oh, why me, or have a bad attitude towards God, or have a bad attitude towards life, or just give up, not even continue being an entrepreneur or whatever it might be. But an example of even just what he did when Mav was in the hospital, I went back on Facebook and found some of the old baby Mav facts, if any of you guys remember those. So pretty much every day that they were in the hospital, he chose rather than being down and angry at God to turn into something fun, not fun, but positive, I guess. Um, so I'll, they're kind of like Chuck, those Chuck Norris jokes that are just kind of way over the top and funny. But I pulled a couple just to share with you. So baby Mav fact number three. Baby Maverick's being held in the hospital until the outside world's ready for his awesomeness. Baby Mav fact number 34. I think they got to like 40. Superman wears baby Mav pajamas. And they just like went on and on and just got more and more outrageous every time. And then at one point during it, he posted, um, he said about baby Mav facts, in case I'm blowing up your newsfeed, here's the explanation. Yes, uh, they are like the fun Chuck Norris impossible facts. Truth is, our baby's in the NICU and will be for a bit due to complications. I'm not taking the situation lightly, but I'm finding uh, therapeutic ways to rejoice during these challenging times. The Bible says to rejoice in all situations. I could be sorrow sorrowfully silent, but I would rather be outrageously positive and make declarations about him as God heals him. Hide them if they annoy you, but if not, Say a prayer for baby Maverick and contribute to some of the baby Mav facts. And so rather than getting totally down, he almost like raised up this whole community of people thinking like waking up in the middle of the night and texting him baby Mav facts, you know? I mean, <laughs> he like turned it into this totally positive thing that like we were mentioning, people are watching your life, seeing how you're going to respond. How are you going to act in moments of that could potentially be moments of despair? Um, and so again, the, the choice of your voice determines your life. Because the voice that you speak out is what you, become, what you believe, and it shifts your environment that you're living in. So what are the things that you're maybe speaking negatively of or, or thinking negatively of in your life, even right now, that you, can, that you probably need a shift in? The next point was a big one for me, and it was one that I, like, candidly, totally still struggle with at times. So it's definitely a work in progress, but it's one worth, worth mentioning, is the whole disease to please um, topic that we've been talking about. So it's an odd problem to have because on the outset, it sounds like it almost could be a good thing. Like who wouldn't want to help people? Who wouldn't want to be a people pleaser? You know, it's this like sweet term for actually a really deep rooted issue. Um, and so, Actually, I read a book called The Disease to Please. That's where I stole the, the title from. Um, but in there, they include 10 commandments. They're basically self-inflicted shoulds that we put on our lives if, we're, if we happen to be someone that struggles with disease to please. So I'm going to read them to you, and if you're able to relate to any of them, just kind of take them. Um, number one, I should always do what others want, expect, or need from me. 
Two, I should take care of everyone around me whether they ask for help or not. Three, I should always listen to everyone's problems and try my best to solve them. Four, I should always be nice and never hurt anyone's feelings. Five, I should always put other people first before me. Six, I should never say no to anyone who needs requ or requests something of me. Seven, I should never disappoint anyone or let others down in any way. Eight, I should always be happy and upbeat and never show any negative feelings to others. Nine, I should always try to please others or other people and make them happy. 10, I should try never to burden others with my own needs or problems. So those are 10, and there's actually a bonus that kind of ties them all in. I should always put others' needs first ahead of my own. To do anything else would be selfish. So I don't know if you're someone that can relate to one of those, can relate to many of those, can relate to all of them, but if it is a large majority of them, you are likely a chronic people pleaser. And I totally am first to admit that I have struggled with a lot of these most of my life. They're usually something that begins as a young child, and for whatever reason, there was some situation that teaches you that you need to earn people's, um, like you need to earn security by doing things for people. And so if you are a people pleaser, you likely so badly seek approval from others, yet deny approval of yourself. It's because you set such high and unrealistic expectations for yourself that you basically can never meet. You have a perfectionism type mentality over yourself, but lower expectations for others in a sense. And, and you can't accept a compliment. So if someone, let's say I came up to you and said, you did such an amazing job on that project last week, I'm so proud of you. And then you in turn think, in ter think to yourself, she's just being nice, she doesn't really mean it. You don't allow it to like come in and seep into you. But yet you wander around wondering why you're so depleted and discouraged. And today it was funny because I was with Waterbury and we both have certain tendencies in this area of like going to the ends of the earth for other people but not allowing others to do it for ourselves. And I said, why, why is that? Like what is it about us that causes us to do that? And he said, we believe more in our ability to achieve than in our self-worth. We believe more in our ability to achieve than we do in our own self-worth. So we'll go to the ends of the earth for other people, but we don't believe that we're worthy of someone else taking even a moment out of their time to do something for us. Because we have all these self-implied shoulds. I should never ask someone else for anything. And so as people pleasers, we often wake up every morning with an empty tank and needing to refill it in. And so we need approval from others so badly that it becomes like an addiction. And so it's, it's, people pleasing is often um, like compared to gambling in the sense of the addiction. So the reason that is is because there's a, there's a lack of certainty, a lack of security, and a lack of consistency in the outcomes. So if you're a gambler, you go and you don't gamble and you're not addicted to it because you win every time. Because that, I don't know, it's, it's not as fun, honest, probably. And so um, gamblers go because of the chance that they might win. It's the same with people pleasers. You don't people please because every time you get affirmations back, you can do all kinds of things for people and no one even, sometimes they don't even acknowledge it. You get addicted to it because of the chance that someone might reward you with an affirmation or a thank you or a you're so awesome. 
And so what often happens is we then start increasing the number of people that we're attempting to please in hopes of increasing the rewards back of affirmations or whatever it might be. Same with gambling, you know, they increase how many slot machines they're playing you. Never mind, no one's ever, probably ever been. <laughs> um, but in the end, you end up even more depleted and bankrupt than when you started. So Proverbs 29.5 talks about how um, the fear of human opinions disables, but trusting in God protects us from that. So pleasing God is like totally different because you don't end, when you're working to doing things to please God, you don't end up depleted. You end up more full. So, and when you're running yourself ragged trying to please people, you have, you basically push God out of the way and are not listening to anything he says because you're listening to all these people you're trying to please. And people please in all kinds of ways or seek approval. I mean, things girls wear, I mean, guys, skinny jeans on guys, those cannot be comfortable. We're seeking the approval of our friends. So some things are like not as bad, but like let's say you go out and buy this brand new car, but you're living paycheck to paycheck, but hey, my friends think I'm cool, so it's cool, but they don't see what's going on behind the scenes and how depleted you really are because of it. And the scary thing of people pleasing is people's opinions and needs are always changing. So you might have paid all this money or locked into a six-year lease on this car, but next year, the cool car is something else. And, and then what? You know, and then you have two car payments. I don't know. So, like, for, for me, for example, a couple, if you've ever done strength finders, you know, you can get, like, your top three or five strengths or whatever. Mine are achiever and, re, and responsibility, which are, like, incredibly dangerous when you also have the people-pleasing mentality because... You're like thrive off of achieving things and you thrive off of having a million things to juggle and like you're, Julie's laughing because she knows. <laughs> She's always like, you don't need to sign up for that. Um, <laughs> I'm like the first person to sign up or volunteer. Like I don't even hear what the end of the, whatever the need is and I'm like, put me on it, you know. And um, my husband's actually really helped me with that because he's taught me to relax. I never knew how to relax. He would, when we were dating, he would come over and we'd like watch a movie and he'd want to like hang out. And I'd be like standing a table or like multitasking. Like I, I'm like thrive on multitasking. <laughs> um, but speaking of that, like if you're in a relationship and either you or the person you're dating is a people pleaser, like it's, it's probably really challenging for you guys. Maybe not if you're the, a controlling one and you love that you're, whoever you're dating just does everything for you. But sooner or later, that's going to not be as fun for either of you. Um, but if you're the person that's dating a people pleaser, it's likely that, you know, at some point, you're going to feel like this person's just my shadow. Like their submissive compliance just makes them seem like a total bore most of the time because they never have an opinion. They don't give any insights, they just kind of like go with the flow. And at first that seems cool, like what a cool girlfriend I have. And then finally you're like, no, I need someone that's a little bit more compatible, has some input, like challenges me. But I'm here to tell you that that person that you're dating, they have deep convictions and they have opinions and they have insights and they have probably a really strong perspective on what's going on, but they're fearfully silent um, due to like, the fear of rejection and abandonment. So like, let's say for a simple example, you ask them, where do you want to go to dinner? And they're like, oh, wherever you want to go, honey. Like twiddling their eyelashes. And um, 
And at first it's like, cool, all right, I'll pick, you know, and then finally you're like, no, I really want to know where you want to go to dinner. And, and they're not saying it because of fear that if they were to say somewhere that you guys go and you end up not liking, that that is like on their shoulders that that was their fault or something. Or, or if they say somewhere that they want to go to dinner and it's not somewhere that you like, they're terrified that you might break up with them because they don't agree. I mean, these sound like such simple things, but if you're in a relationship, you, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're the person who's the people pleaser in the relationship, or maybe you're single, this is just something to look forward to, so get help now. Um, <laughs> the person, the other person in the relationship needs to be needed too. So being a people pleaser, and, and I get both sides of this because I've been both. In my first relationship, I was completely the people pleaser, and the person broke up with me and literally said like, you never have an opinion, and was, almost broke up with me for one of the like, you never tell me where you wanna go to dinner type scenarios, so I get it firsthand. And then in my next relationship, when I started dating Mike, I was like the complete opposite. I was like, oh, I'm telling you everything that comes to mind. And then he was like, he was who I was. And so I almost, I felt for him in that, even though it really annoyed me at the time. I was like, I knew that I had changed, and I was like, I know he can get there too. You know, I don't recommend waiting. That's not what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> just saying it's possible. Um, but I just encourage you to speak up and to, to start like seeking out how to, how to beat it because once you get into marriage and all these things, it's not fun. And, and it's very likely that if you are in a relationship and you're dating someone who's more whole, they're either going to be done or you might end up dating someone that's controlling and they're going to completely take advantage of your people-pleasing tendencies. And neither one of those is going to be be any fun. So people pleasers, they oftentimes, or if you are one, you oftentimes like to be known as like the nice person. So at, with all those shoulds, you know, that's a pretty, seems like a nice person. They're doing everything for everyone. They never like put their burdens on you. You're like, oh, I want a friend like that. Um, and people almost wear it as a badge of honor. Like, I am the official people pleaser. Come to me with all your needs and I will take care of you until I burn out and cry and can't take care of anyone else. But what happens is it holds us back from God's best. I, I, that's when I really started identifying it in my life was that it seemed God doesn't call us to be nice. He calls us to love people. It actually doesn't even say nice in the Bible. Um, and so a lot of times I felt like being nice and loving people were like mutually exclusive. Like I could not be both at the same time. And I have this weird gift that I can like see things in people's lives that I feel really strongly that I need to speak up about, but I never would because I was so scared of like being rejected by them or having it not come out in a nice way or that they would not want to be friends with me after. Maybe they wouldn't agree. And, um, and I started to realize that not speaking up was not being nice at all. It was actually really um, damaging to some of my relationships in the sense of I was watching people go through stuff, feeling like I could have helped them, and then looking back and thinking I just sat by silently and watched it. And I was like a bystander, you know, a, an accomplice of like this terrible thing that was happening to them. And so if we feel prompted by God to speak up, we need to listen to that prompting and step out boldly and do so. Could you imagine if Waterbury one day decided he was just gonna be the nice guy? Like, our lives would look a lot different today. <laughs> but no, 
he, he lovingly tells us things that don't always feel loving in the moment <laughs> that change us and they impact us. And he does it boldly and fearlessly because a lot of times people do react in a negative way. And they don't want to have a relationship with him. They don't want to talk to him. They think he's crazy. You know, all these different things. But he is so strongly tied to God and God's heart that it doesn't face him in that moment. That he knows that he's um, having more of a long-term impact than just those five minutes of feeling like, oh, you know. And so being able to recognize that really helped me in breaking a lot of that bondage in that area. And it was hard because it does take a lot of boldness and it does take a lot of faith. Because as a, as a people pleaser, you, it's really hard to say no to things. And Eric, Eric Knopfoy says, I never regret saying, saying no. And it's totally been true. Anytime I say no, I'm like, oh yeah, I feel actually a lot better. And I'm not like strapped, you know, my schedule filled and all this stuff. And a lot of times in the office, we tell our clients, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I always have to think back to that because a lot, a lot of times now I'll say no and I'll be like, oh, I'm such a slacker. I totally could have done it. But then even Michael will be like, well, but you, but should you, you know, kind of a thing. And um, so that always helps to get me kind of back to like the right, the right path with those things. And it's hard because it was really interesting when I started saying no to certain people or certain scenarios, um, a, a lot of people just stopped being my friend. And a lot of relationships kind of dwindled because of it, because I was no longer producing for them. And so it's really interesting. You start becoming and having more authentic relationships, and you start having more respect for yourself, and, and it starts naturally demanding more, more respect from other people because you're setting the proper boundaries in your life that demands that. Because happiness isn't a result of, you know, having someone say good job. You know, it's, it's more of a result in a path that's connected to God's word and God's heart. So, and if you put a boundary up and someone doesn't, um, you know, they refuse to see your value, it in no way limits your worth or lowers your worth. And that was something that I had to, like, keep telling myself that just because they don't like me anymore or don't, want to have me in their life because I'm not producing for them or result-oriented that I am still worthy and I still have the same amount of worth or more than I did before. Um, the la last kind of main point that I've kind of been thinking through in, becoming, in pre preparation for parenthood is thinking about how kids oftentimes totally mimic their parents. So they sit like, stand like, walk like. Like I, I kind of sometimes think of 101 Dalmatians. I don't know if you know in the beginning of the movie where they have dogs even that look like their owners, you know, and they're like walking down the street and they look like them. Um, when you know that someone's watching you, you sit up straighter, you just like have better self-awareness of what's going on, whether it's someone you're dating or just someone in the community or a child. Um, and so I also was thinking too, when when kids have parents that aren't in the picture, maybe they only see pictures of them or they hear stories about them or, or just, they just weren't around, those kids don't end up growing up mimicking their parents' characteristics or the way they say something or what they do. And it made me think that's kind of how our relationship is with God. 
that we can read about him in a book, we can learn about him, we can sit here on a Thursday night and hear all kinds of awesome things about him. But if we don't have like a true face-to-face -face relationship with him, we are not gonna start mimicking his characteristics and just putting them on display for people who know us and see us. Number, in Numbers it talks about um, how his face and his countenance shine upon us. And some countenance is basically your expression. And some of the other translations say, um, you know, it's like a cheerful face or a happy face. And there's just no way that we're going to be displaying that if we aren't seeing his face in a relationship. I mean, there's some people that you might know that know the Bible up and down, you know, total, went to, went to college, great scholars of the Bible, but they are just sometimes like so sad, like they just look so sad. And you, you can tell by someone's countenance if they truly are having a relationship with God. Because it's pretty much impossible to have that and not have it display in your life. Like notify your face kind of a thing. <laughs> it's even having self-awareness, like what does your face look like on just any given moment? You know, if you're not talking or you're just driving, like do you have like a scowl? naturally or do you have like a generally pleasant face you know or um, like even right this minute like just taking account for what what are you displaying to the world <laughs> and something that made me think about this was I was recently at the dentist and I sat down and I'm not someone who's scared of the dentist or anything like that but I was like super tense sitting in the chair and I and I realized it and I had to intentionally like relax so it's so funny how we can unintentionally like get really tense or get a certain way and it takes us recognizing it and make an intentional decision to like all right I'm gonna survive kind of a thing first Corinthians 11:1 1 says be imitators of me as I am of Christ and it's almost like this character like expression game of telephone you know Christ Jesus to us to the world except for it doesn't get lost in translation is the goal um, and so it's just like this continuous flow Proverbs 15.3, a cheerful heart makes a good countenance. And it's funny because in, in teenage years, sometimes children, all of a sudden they're like mimicking their parents, but then that's like not the cool thing to do. And it's like, oh, my mom does that. I don't want to do that anymore. And you know, and they start finding other people to start mimicking and uh, modeling their life after. And it's almost like there becomes a point in, in time sometimes with God where we're like, we're so in like one with him, and then all of a sudden we start finding these other things or other people to start modeling our lives after, and we lose track of what, what truly matters and who truly matters. And so just um, in closing, just thinking through, have you been doing and saying things that are causing you to be molded by the hands of the one God created you to destroy? So are you allowing yourself to be more influenced by the enemy than by God? By allowing the hands of the one God created us to destroy, to mold us and influence us. Because there's two greatest deliverances that we experience. It's the deliverance from people and the approval of people and then deliverance from ourselves and our own thoughts and our own feelings and, um, and just finding freedom in those two areas is incredible for our, for our own lives. And so breakthrough, breakthrough is only as good as the follow through. So if there's things tonight, any other week, you know, that, that you have this moment of like, oh, that's me, or oh, I have this breakthrough, or this awesome, that's great. But what are you doing to maintain that 
and carry it on through your life and even pass it on to other people who are observing your life. So thanks, guys. That's what I have.